If you have never read Mark Dever's book, The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, I highly recommend it. Today's sermon is, I must say, deeply indebted to Mark Dever. He's the one who's introduced me to this most important mark of a healthy church. What makes for a healthy church? If you are going to stay in the church and be a part of building and shaping it, you need to know what you're trying to build. Today we're going to think about the most important mark of a healthy church, which is expositional preaching. I will explain in a few minutes, but first, we need to ask a question. All right, Why don't we just quit preaching? Why don't we just quit preaching? Why do we need preaching? Considering the widespread popularity of engaging stories, wouldn't it be more effective to simply tell a few captivating stories on Sunday morning? And why think specifically about expositional preaching? Isn't that kind of preaching associated with boredom and half-empty pews? In our fast-paced society of sports tickers and soundbite entertainment, can we really expect anyone to have the patience for a serious exposition of an ancient text like the Bible? In an age that has developed a distaste for the exclusivity of religious truth, how can the authoritative tone of expositional preach preaching hold any promise at all? In a culture inundated with glossy magazines and risque sitcoms, sadly many pastors are asking if it would be wise to modernize. Why not quit the text-centered approach and accommodate to our culture's preference for the visual? So what do you think? Well, the sellers of technique in today's marketplace of ideas cringe to think that anyone would still be praising the sermon. For example, here's just some of what they say. Quote, Times have changed. Truth itself has changed. What communicates to the postmodern mind is narrative, journey, epic, and essay. Not linear arguments, objective conclusions, or exclusive truth claims. The days of expounding the meaning and implications of a text are long gone. Meaning is now in the eye of the beholder. Universally binding morality is thereby supposed to be a mere myth, and so the authority of the preached word of God is brushed aside as obsolete. Winning the culture means playing on their new field. End quote. Well, that's what we're being told. But God's Word has something to say about what we preach and how we preach it. What I'd like to do now is give a brief biblical foundation for the priority of expositional preaching in the local church. My first big question that we want to answer today is this. What are the different kinds of preaching? Let me give you a few definitions of these various types of preaching so that you understand what they're about. Number one is anecdotal preaching. Anecdotal is a sermon in which the preacher primarily tells engaging stories with a moral lesson. Number two is biographical. This is a sermon in which the preacher traces the life of a biblical character 
and draws contemporary moral implications. For example, you might look at a a Bible character like Adam or Moses or an Elijah or a Daniel. Topical, that's number three. Topical preaching is a sermon that has a topic in mind prior to consulting the text and then searches for one or more biblical text that address the topic chosen. The topic could be a big range of things. Number four is textual. A sermon that refers often to a particular biblical text, but does not take the main point of the text as its own. And then last is number five, expositional, or what is sometimes called expository preaching. Expositional, or an expositional sermon is a sermon which actually takes the point of the text as the point of the sermon. Let's talk about some details of expositional preaching. Number one, the content of expositional preaching is the true word of God. An exposition of scripture simply seeks to uncover, explain, and apply the the divinely intended meaning of the text. We care what God said and what he meant. Number two, the context of expositional preaching is the pure church of God. It's the church. Local church is God's primary holder for his preached word. This kind of preaching will prove itself relevant when the local community of believers backs it up with lifestyles that are marked by holiness, joy, and selfless service. Well, expositional preaching has a goal. The goal of expositional preaching is for Christians to hear and then do something, to heed the Word of God. In this sense, expositional preachers are modern-day prophets. Kind of like an Elijah. They serve merely as conduits through which the word of God may flow into the people of God in order to do the work of God in them. Well, there are some dangers that we need to be aware of in the other types of preaching. So let's ask the question, what is the danger of topical preaching? Well, with topical preaching, the preacher's rarely surprised or challenged by the text. He simply ends up studying and preaching on his own favorite topics or his hobby horses. I hope you see a problem with that. Well, look what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, verse 27. He said, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. When someone's preaching expositionally, you should be getting the whole counsel of God, which is, of course, a good thing. Do you know what happens when a congregation only gets the preacher's favorite topics? Well, sadly, the congregation never grows past the knowledge or the maturity level of the preacher. Psalm 119, verse 130 says this, The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. 
All right, well, let's look at a different type of preaching. Think about the dangers. What is the danger of anecdotal preaching, which is, remember, stories with some moral lesson to it? What's wrong with anecdotal preaching? Well, the danger is a congregation may go away entertained, but will probably not have been fed the Word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We want to know those words that come from the mouth of God. Large numbers may be attracted with this type of preaching, but the stories do not have the sanctifying, transforming power that people need for spiritual growth. In fact, Jesus said in John 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You say, well, what is the difference? What is the difference between these types of preaching? Well, number one, pastoral authority is directly related to authorial intent. You see, the preacher only has authority from God to speak as his ambassador as long as he remains faithful to convey the divine author's intentions. In other words, we want to know God's intentions. It's his word that we want to know. And this means that the further the preacher strays from the preaching, uh, or I should say from preaching the intention of the text, the further his God-given authority is eroded in the pulpit. Expositional preaching is the only kind of preaching that ensures the agenda of the sermon is determined by the agenda of the text. Therefore, a long-term commitment to expositional preaching is the most helpful way for a preacher to discipline himself to remain faithful to God's word over a lifetime of ministry. Let me ask you another question. Does a commitment to expositional preaching mean that a preacher should never preach other kinds of sermons? And the answer is no. No, of course not. Topical and biographical sermons still have value. It is sometimes helpful to address a certain topic by presenting biblical information. And it is sometimes instructive to study the life of a biblical character in the Bible and then draw practical implications for today. The point is that as a consistent diet, expositional preaching is most healthy for both the preacher and the congregation. Let me give you some misconceptions about expositional preaching. Sadly, there's several that we're going to talk about here. Misconception number one. You ready? Here it is. Expositional preaching is any sermon in which the Bible is opened. Now, just because the Bible is open or even quoted does not mean that the preaching is expositional. Remember what expositional preaching is? Only if the point of the passage is used as the point of the message does a sermon actually qualify as an expositional sermon. Right, number two, expositional preaching, this is a misconception, by the way, 
is that it's, it's always slow, verse by verse, progression through a text in the Bible. You see a problem with that? By the way, there are more ways to preach expositionally than just plotting, you know, one verse, one phrase at a time through an entire book of the Bible. Okay? That can be very good, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize that kind of preaching. But the, the length of Scripture doesn't matter to whether or not the sermon is, ex, is actually an exposition. You understand that? Okay? Some people think only the, the good kind of preaching is when the preacher takes 13 years to go through a book of the Bible. So, I hope you understand the, the, the length of the passage being preached doesn't make it a true exposition. We all understand that, I hope, by now? All right. Number three, the third misconception. Look at this. Expositional preaching always feels like a dry lecture that's devoid of application. And then some people think, you know, well, in the process, it's, you know, it just becomes kind of like a running commentary on the text. It's as if some preachers get up there and all they do is, is they want to open up their commentary that they have in their library and read to you their commentary. All right? That's not expositional preaching. Most commentaries don't have any application in them at all. And so if somebody does that, no, that's not expositional preaching. And by the way, if you hear a sermon like that, that's a poor excuse for an exposition, okay? All good preaching should include application. should be drawing out the implications from the text. In fact, uh, if you hear that kind of a sermon, it may not actually be an exposition at all. So, the point of any biblical text is to accomplish God's purpose in your heart. There's a point to the sermon. We're not just to be hearers of the word, but we're to be doers as well. So if, if somebody's just getting up and preaching to you and you never get application, you should be concerned. Okay? You need to be listening with discernment and saying, hey, that wasn't right. There needs to be application here. The preacher's missed the bullseye. He's missed the target. So let me give you the importance of exposition, and and I'm going to draw some things out from God's Word that hopefully will be helpful to you, okay? Uh, You can turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 to start with. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. First of all, what, what I want you to see here is that God's Word gives dominance to expositional preaching. God's word gives dominance to exposition. The nature, and the, uh, the, the I should say, the nature of preaching, the nature of God's word reveals uh, that exposition is 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 suited to uh, unleashing God's power in our lives. Okay. One of the things we see in, in, in scripture is that exposition is primary because preaching is prophetic. Let me explain that because you might have one idea of what what it means to be prophetic that is maybe not what I'm trying to express to you here, okay? To say that preaching is 
prophetic is not to say that it's predictive or it is some kind of ecstatic utterance, like speaking in tongues or something like that. But the idea is that by, by, by it being prophetic is that we're ambassadors of God's truth. A preacher is an ambassador of God's truth. Uh, their source of revelation is coming from God's written word. Not, not something that they think is coming from somewhere else. It is to say that preaching is about receiving God's word and communicating it to God's people in a way that's actually faithful to, to God's intention. Exposition best handles the prophetic nature of preaching because expositional, uh, or I, I should say an exposition, expositional sermon is, is unique for taking the point of the passage as the point of the text. Other types of preaching doesn't usually do that. I want to give you a positive example of this, okay? Positive example that's actually coming from the Bible itself of uh, expositional preaching, okay? Now, this is coming from a narrative or a history part of your Bible, okay? So it's, it's not a command, but it is, uh, it's, it, it's, it's describing for us here a good example of expositional preaching. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse 7, if you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. <clears throat> it says there that the Levites, well, let's stop there for a moment. Who, who are the Levites? Levites were that God-ordained group of people who were supposed to be involved in the worship and, uh, of God and also in the teaching of God's Word. They, they were to be teachers of God's Word. So that's the people that, that are here in Nehemiah 8. Now look what it says about this group. It says the Levites... Help the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Okay? Let me, I've got it up on here in the screen for you, but you, you can lo- also look in your Bible there. Now, let me just mention a few things from this particular text. Number one, the content of their preaching is what? What's the content? What are they reading from? They're reading from God's revelation. Reading from special revelation. It's not their own ideas. They're not, they're not telling their stories or you know, coming up with some topic of interest to them. No. Their preaching's prophetic in, in the sense they're preaching God's special revelation. They receive God's word, and then they're giving it to the people. That's the content. That's the kind of preaching you should long for. Number two, notice their method. Their method is to explain the meaning, and then they, uh, then they well, that's, that's what they're doing, right? Let me just leave it at that. They're explaining the meaning of the text, giving the significance of the text to the people. Okay? Totally appropriate. Okay? We could just stand up here and read large portions of the Bible with no explanation. Okay? That's probably not the most helpful thing to do. We have several examples of that uh, in the Bible where explanation goes hand in hand with God's revelation itself. What was the effect? What was the effect of this type of expositional preaching? 
The effect was that the people understood, and what did they do? Not only did they understand, it says they obeyed God's Word. That's the goal of expositional preaching. Not just to hear, but to heed and obey. Do something with it. The people hear, they heed. All right, so that's a good example of expositional preaching. Let me give you a bad one, all right? Look at Jeremiah chapter 23. If you don't, again, if you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen here for you. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. All right, everyone there? This is a negative or a bad example. This is what preachers should not do. And if you hear preachers doing this, hopefully you're, you're, you have expository listening going on where you can detect bad preaching. All right? This is an example of bad preaching. Now look what Jeremiah 23 says, starting in verse 16. Starting in verse 16. I'm going to skip a few verses along the way, but anyway. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds. You can underline that in your Bible. What are they preaching? Visions that are coming from where? From from God's special revelation? No. They're preaching stuff coming from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear His word? Or who has paid attention to His word and listened I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. I hope you see a problem there. God had a problem with that kind of preaching and those kind of preachers. So, let's do the same thing. Let's, let's think about the content here. What was the content of, of, these type, of this type of preaching? Where is it coming from? Content's coming from their own imagination, Scripture says. Speaking primarily of their own stories, their, their own illustrations. And was God pleased or displeased with that? Of course, we see in Scripture, God was displeased when the content of their preaching was their own imagination. So, expositional preaching disciplines the preacher to constrain his words and his thoughts to God's Word. Well, second of all, let's think about what was the method. What was the method of these false preachers? The method of their preaching involves a refusal to stand in God's counsel. They didn't want to listen to God. They didn't want to hear God. They didn't want to obey God's word. Whoa. Well, that's a faulty foundation, isn't it? What is the expositor's first task, anyway? When, I, when I'm studying God's word during the week and I'm slaving over Scripture, what is, what is my task? If you're studying God's Word, same, same task that I have. My task is to stand in God's counsel. 
I am to bow my knee to King Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father and, and ask God to reveal His Word to me. Scripture is not of private interpretation, it says. What was the effect of this bad kind of preaching? What, what, is, what does it say? The effect of their preaching failed to turn God's people back to God's ways, didn't it? They continued in their evil ways, and their evil deeds. That's the effect of bad preaching. It was futile. An expositor's goal is to speak God's word to God's people so that God's people can walk in God's ways, do what God wants them to do. All right? That's the point. All right? Let's think about exposition again here for a moment number two i got a second point in regards to this exposition is primary because god's word performs what it prescribes god's word accomplishes what god wants it to accomplish in other words it is its own power for accomplishing itself do you get that god's word's powerful it's like that double-edged sword therefore exposition is primary because it's the best kind of preaching that's going to unleash God's intention in our lives. So when God speaks, His very Word actually creates the reality that it's commanding. All right? That's how powerful God's Word is. In fact, let me just quickly mention a few verses, starting, even going all the way back to Genesis. All right? Just so you can see the power of God's Word... All right, that's the point of this. In fact, even in the very first chapter of the Bible, six times in Genesis chapter 1, God, God said, and it was so. Six times in Genesis 1. That's how powerful God's Word is. God said something, and it was so. You know, God, God says, let there be light, and there was light. You know, let there be, you know... Sea creatures and there were sea creatures, right? You know, so forth. You get the point? Now, we, we read this earlier, but look at on the screen here. Isaiah chapter 55, these, these great words that God said here in Isaiah 55, verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, Some of you might be sitting here and saying, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor. What about that person over there? You know, That person did not respond to God's word. Is God's word true here? And the answer is, sometimes God's word actually hardens people. Okay? God's word sometimes softens, but God's word also hardens people. A classic example of that is in the book of Exodus. God's word hardened Pharaoh's heart. His heart became hard. And God was, was accomplishing his purposes in Pharaoh and in Egypt to make his in fact, you see this phrase over and over again, because I'm reading in Exodus right now. You see this phrase over and over again. Why did God do that? 
God was displaying his glory among the nations by destroying the greatest nation on planet earth at that time. So if Moses had walked into Egypt and said, let God's people go, and Pharaoh said, okay, go ahead. Uh, wait a minute. Um, how is God, God going to display his glory amongst the nations if Pharaoh just said, okay, go ahead? Right? God had a purpose in heart, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. In fact, you see God hardening his heart, and then it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So which is it? And the answer is yes. It's both. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's another sermon. All right, there are two primary functions that the word of God performs in the church. Okay? What does God's word perform in your life? What, I should say, what should it be forming, performing in your life? Well, number one, the word of God is God's chosen instrument for giving life to his people. It's God's chosen instrument for giving you life. All right, let me give you some examples of this. In Genesis chapter 1, God created the world and everything in this universe by doing what? He spoke it into existence. It was God's word that did it. In Genesis chapter 12, God initiates this covenant with Abraham, called the Abrahamic covenant, and what did he use to do that? It was God's word. Ezekiel chapter 37, God gives life to these dead bones, and how does he do it? It's through his word. Through God's word brings life to the bones and flesh to these bones so that they become alive. Now, don't get too caught up in all the details of Ezekiel 37, but, but at least understand that God's word is powerful and gives life. John chapter 1, we see that God's incarnate word is Jesus Christ. And that word brings life to God's people. Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes by hearing what? How does faith come to us? By hearing the word of God. You get the point? All right, is that enough scriptures to get the point? All right. The, the, God's chosen instrument here for giving life to his people is... God's Word, the Bible. Number two, the Word of God is God's chosen instrument for giving holiness to His people. Right? Not only does it give us life and make us alive, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, but it also sanctifies us. That's the idea there of holiness. All right, 2 Chronicles 34, we see the rediscovery of God's Word actually brought national revival, national recovery to Israel. John 17, again, says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God sanctifies us, sets us apart from sin unto God through his word. So, here's why I'm constantly exhorting you to be faithful every day in reading God's word. Because if you're not in God's word, then God is not going to be sanctifying you as he wants to. Ephesians chapter 5, we see that Christ cleanses the church, how? By the word. Do you get the point? (laughs) Are you with me, class? Yes. Shake your head, please. Engage me here so I know what's going on in your heart, hopefully. All right, thank you very much. All right, well, here's another question for you. Is there only one kind of expositional sermon? Is there only one kind? 
And the answer is no. There's, there's more than one kind, all right? So somebody gave me some wise advice some time ago in, in regards to preaching. And uh, here's what it is, okay? You, you might be wondering, why do you have a camera, picture of a camera up there? What does that have to do with preaching? So I, I want you to see that this camera has 18 times optical zoom. And here's, here's what I, the wise advice I got when I, when I was learning about preaching. All right? Ditch the disposable camera and invest in a telephoto lens. All right? Sometimes we can preach this way. When I, when I was learning preaching, uh, I was pathetic, okay? <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even like hearing myself, right? <sighs> I feel sorry for anybody else who had to hear me. Because when I was learning preaching, we had a preaching class in university where they, they, the teacher videoed us, and I had to go watch myself and critique myself. There is nothing worse than that, I can assure you. Whoa, that's horrible. But anyway... Um, some preachers, when they're first preaching, are kind of like the, the, you know, the di- little disposable cameras. You know what I'm talking about? The kind that have absolutely no zoom on them. So you try to take a group photo. You ever try to take a group photo with a disposable camera? You know, that's, that's frustrating. I mean, you, if you're not standing in the right spot, it's, it's hopeless. Because you're, like, you're constantly doing this sort of thing, trying to get, ooh, 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 got to get that person in the, you know. What a blessing to have a a telephoto lens with some zoom, and you can go in and out, get it exactly the way you want. Well, that's, that's what good preaching's like. Having a telephoto lens. You say, well, what is telephoto preaching? All right. Well, here's what some wiser men than me have said. <sighs> preaching's often kind of like taking pictures with that disposable camera where there's, there's no zooming, there's no panning, there's no focus. You know, you never know, you know, praise God for digital stuff these days. Remember the old days? Remember that? Where you actually had a roll of film? Remember what that was like? It's hard to find that stuff anymore, isn't it? You know, and, and you go and you, you, you start looking through your, all your pictures and like, how many did you have to throw out, by the way? You're like, oh, great, got my thumb in that one again. Ooh, that one's out of focus. Ooh. Who took that one? You know, you don't even know what it is. You know? <laughs> right? Praise God for digital stuff these days. But anyway, sometimes preaching can be that way. You know, the, there's no panning, no zooming, no guaranteed focus. You know, getting a panoramic is, is, is very unlikely when you're looking at specific texts of the Bible. And all that stuff is good. You know, you're looking at the Bible, uh, say, say like Matthew, as we preach through Matthew, sometimes I might zoom in. And look at, look at a part of a tree. Sometimes I might zoom out, try to give you the big picture of the whole forest. Or I might try to give you a wide-angle view. That's, that's good stuff. That's, that makes for good preaching. Expositional preaching is kind of like you know, graduating up to that, those beautiful telephoto lenses. It gives you the ability to, to, to get a diversity of Scripture. Get new angles, new perspectives, new focuses. Let me give you an example. Um, some people, some people say, can, "Can you preach an entire book of the Bible expositionally?" Right? Can that be done? Say the Book of Romans, and the answer is yes, it can be. Okay. Every time I do those big picture messages, I am trying to draw out of the text. The, the God's original meaning, 
What, what did God intend in, in, in that particular book of the Bible? Right? But sometimes you can uh, start looking at individual parts of Scripture. For example, Romans 8.1, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right? You could have an expositional sermon on one verse of the Bible. If the point of the sermon is the point of the text, that's an expositional sermon. That's the kind of sermon you want to hear and be attuned to. Uh, sometimes a, uh, a single expositional sermon can, can even be done on the entire Bible. It's possible. Uh, it could be done on an entire uh, testament of the Bible, say the Old Testament or the New Testament. It could be done on a whole book. It could, it could be done on, an, on a narrative section or, or, or a whole parable or a, a paragraph, even a phrase in the Bible or a verse in the Bible. You get the point? There's variety. Okay? To, there are some people that get caught up on this, and they, and, uh, you know, they, they, want, they want the preacher to, to only preach a specific way. I hope you see that's not helpful. A variety is, is truly the spice of life, even when it comes to preaching. All right, there's, there's a cost-benefit. And you say, well, what is the cost-benefit here to, to uh, kind of using the telephoto lens kind of preaching style? All right, you're zooming in and out, getting panoramics, different perspectives, different angles and all that. Well, what, what is it? Well, <clears throat> I hope you know that... Uh, Telephoto lens is going to be more expensive than a disposable camera, right? You know that, don't you, hopefully? Well, it, <clears throat> take that analogy over into preaching. When, when you come to preaching, if a preacher's preaching a larger section of Scripture, it's going to take more time, more investment in, into understanding and drawing out from the text its meaning, uh, which is why I, I usually prefer to preach paragraph by paragraph through a book of the Bible. You just focus on that paragraph. It is very difficult to, to do an entire book of the Bible, or specifically an, an entire Bible in one sermon. That's incredibly difficult. All right? 2 Timothy 2.15 is on the screen here. It says, uh, Study to show yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed... Handling accurately the word of truth. By the way, that's not just Timothy's responsibility. Okay? Not just Paul's responsibility. It's not just the preacher's responsibility. It is a must for every preacher, but it's also your responsibility to study God's word and to cut it straight, to get it right, to interpret it properly. Okay, so, so there's great value in, in doing this telephoto kind of preaching. Uh, you can get multi-layered uh, views, if you will, from all kinds of vantage points as you look through Scripture, as opposed to just doing it one way. Let me ask you this. Should a preacher preach on different lengths of text? Do you think that's good? Should that happen in our church? <clears throat> Well, let me explain it this way. Um, my wife and I have done some hiking in the Grand Canyon. What a, what a wonderful experience, right? Uh, there, there's many different ways you can, can take pictures of the Grand Canyon, all right? All right? You can, 
you can do what my children did. You know, you just stand up on the rim and you get to see this huge, massive canyon from the rim. Or you can hire a mule or a donkey and you can kind of walk your way down the path down to the bottom. Or you could do, do what we did. We chose to walk down the path. And along the way, we're taking all kinds of photos. All right? Many different ways of taking photos of the same thing. But they're coming from different angles, different perspectives. All right? Preaching through the Bible is kind of like taking different pictures of the Grand Canyon. You can do it different ways. But when you do it different ways, each, each of those ways of preaching a specific text of the Bible is going to give you different views, different focuses. Now in the Bible, hopefully, uh, hopefully the preacher is going to find some level ground. You know, it's kind of hard to take a photo and you're, you're dangling off the side of a cliff, for example. You need some level ground to, to, to do that. Um, guys who teach about preaching often call it literary meaning units. The literary meaning units of Scripture. It's that portion of text intended by the author to convey some significance, um, but it's always done according to the rules of that particular kind of literature. For example, there's different ways of interpreting different types of, of Scripture, right? Different rules of Bible interpretation are applied to, say, the parables of, of the Bible as opposed to the letters of the Bible, right? I hope you know the difference, right? And if you don't know how to interpret the different literature styles of the Bible, you can get yourself in all kinds of wacky beliefs. I mean, for example, the book of Acts has led to to some wacky ideas out there in, in, the, in the religious world. Uh, because they don't understand that Acts is, is not commands. Acts is describing, right? Different from, to say, the, the letters that were written to churches telling us what to do and not to do. All right. So... I hope you understand that, that sometimes that, that I'm going to take longer texts, I'm going to take shorter texts, uh, but, but hopefully they're all based on the Bible, of course. Uh, hopefully I'm going to give you the whole counsel of God coming from the various literature styles of Scripture. That, that makes for a well-balanced, healthy diet from God's Word. It's going to help sharpen me, it's going to broaden me, uh, in, as me as a preacher, and if I'm being broadened, I'm being sharpened, I'm growing, then hopefully you're going to be doing the same. You understand? That's, that's why you need that kind of preaching. That's why I need to be preaching that type of preaching. So what are the benefits of expositional preaching? All right. Well, there, there's benefits for the pastor as well as benefits for the congregation. All right. So let's, let's quickly, just so you understand, there are some benefits for the pastor in expositional preaching. Number one, it releases the pastor from that Saturday night fever, which too many pastors have where they're, oh no, it's Saturday night, tomorrow's Sunday, i got to preach tomorrow, what am I going to preach? Ooh, man, that, ooh, that, that's, a, that's a bad place to be. That is not healthy. Okay? <laughs> expositional preaching stops the Saturday night fever. But it also increases the chances of the pastor actually preaching the whole counsel of God. Okay? Uh, I mean, because, for example, as we're preaching through Matthew, I'm, I'm covering stuff that, that I wouldn't do if I was just doing 
what I feel like doing, for example. Right? So you're, you're getting the whole counsel of God that Jesus gave, you know, you know some 2,000 years ago. But it also increases the pastor's command of the Bible. It forces the pastor to study those difficult and sometimes even neglected texts of the Bible. Some people don't want to, don't want to go to those, those portions of Scripture that, that are maybe harder to understand or whatever. It increases the word's command of the pastor himself, gives him exposure to, to, to parts of the Bible that, that the preacher needs to know about, needs to hear, needs to study. It increases the pastor's God-given prophetic authority in the pulpit, grounding the preacher in, in the, the intended meaning of the text. And last, it increases the trustworthy, trustworthiness of the pastor's preaching in the eyes of the congregation. Okay, hopefully, you know, as, as, as I'm preaching, hopefully you can understand it's not my words. These are God's words, God's intention. I'm explaining the text and applying as God intended. But there's benefits for you as well as a, as a congregation. Let's look at the benefits for the congregation. Number one, you're going to hear more than just the preacher's favorite text and, and his favorite topics. Number two, the application of the text is is released to, to do its converting and conforming work in your life. Three, expositional preaches, preaching increases your knowledge of God and His Word. It's going to broaden your exposure to, to hopefully all the different parts of Scripture. Number four, it increases your trust in the inspiration, the inerrancy, the clarity, and the sufficiency of Scripture. Number five, it increases your trust in the pastor's preaching. Number six, it decreases your chances of being deceived by false teaching. And last, it functions for you as a responsible model of personal Bible study. Okay? As I'm preaching, one of the things I'm trying to do is to prepare you to do the work of the ministry. I'm trying to show you to how to observe a passage properly, how to interpret it properly, how to apply it. As I'm, as I'm preaching, I'm teaching you to do the same. Okay, I hope you understand that. Because according to Ephesians 4, that's one of the job descriptions of the pastor is to teach you to do the work of the ministry. All right, what are the benefits of expositional listening? Okay? Because some of you may never preach... Now, having said that, your job is to not have itching ears, as Timothy says, so that you just draw the kind of preachers that will tickle your ears and tell you about God's love and that sort of stuff. Right? Hopefully you're more discerning than that. Uh, Most of these points are coming from um, a book called What is a Healthy Church Member? Okay? So I've drawn most of these from, from that book, What is a Healthy Church Member? Number one, expositional listening cultivates a hunger for God's Word. It's going to give you a clear ear, if you will, with which to actually hear God. A clear ear. Number two, expositional listening helps us to focus on God's will and to follow Him. That's that's the goal, right? So, what's taking center stage in expositional preaching then? Okay? Picture a stage. 
Right there, there's one for you. What is supposed to take center stage? Hopefully not the preacher. Hopefully not the preacher's ideas and his imagination. Hopefully what takes center stage is God's agenda. And then when God's agenda takes center stage, then it should reorder, uh, reorder our priorities, and then and God's Word should be directing us. All right, number three, expositional listening protects the gospel in our lives from corruption. So the failure to listen expositionally is going to have some disastrous effects in our lives. If we don't learn to listen this way, you can expect disastrous results in your life. If you don't guard ourselves against what... What Paul told Timothy would called those itching ears. An itching ear, you know, we need to be careful of that. Then then false teachers are going to enter the church. Paul warned about that. Wolves coming in sheep's clothing that would ravage and destroy the flock. Then then what's going to happen is the gospel's going to be hindered. And eventually the gospel will be lost and the church will be destroyed. Ultimately the truth will be Paul, Paul said that, that the truth is going to be replaced by myths and falsehoods in the process. If you, if you become one of those kind of itching ear kind of people that Timothy talks about, that's what's going to happen. Number four, expositional listening encourages faithful pastors. Okay? Faithful pastors are, on the other hand, are discouraged when the congregation is filled with people who have itching ears. When a congregation is filled with people who only want to hear about God's love and the seven steps to a healthy, wealthy, happy life, and they only want preachers to make them feel good, that discourages faithful pastors. Expositional listening it will encourage Faithful pastors. Faithful men actually flourish when the preached word has fertile ground to, for, for the word to land in. Okay? That's one reason I like you looking at me and engaging with me. I want to talk to you about God's word. It's discouraging if you're not looking at me and, and not engaging with me. So, a faithful pastor who has fertile ground for the Word of God to land in is, is going to be more bold. Number five, expositional listening benefits the gathered congregation. It benefits the gathered congregation. You see, the Bible repeatedly exhorts local churches to be unified, right? I think, in fact, every, every letter that Paul wrote talks about unity in the church. It's an important issue. The Bible says that we are to be of one mind. One mind, that's unity. And so as we gather together, we give ourselves to hearing the voice of God coming from His preached Word. Guess what's going to happen? Well, what should happen is hopefully we're being shaped by the Bible. Hopefully we're being conformed to the image of Christ. Hopefully we're being pressed into the mold of Scripture. And if that's happening, then we will be of the same mind, therefore we will have unity. So there's great value in this. You say, well, okay, all right, that's, that's good, I see some, some good things there. But how can I cultivate the habit of expositional listening? You say, 
Pastor, help me. Please help me. How can I cultivate the habit of expositional listening? Number one, meditate on the sermon passage during your own quiet time. And by quiet time, I mean your, your devotions that you have, right? The time you have set aside for the reading of Scripture. So let me suggest to you outline the text. Whenever you're reading through the Bible, try to outline it in your, your daily devotions, and then kind of you can use that to help you to inform, your, to inform even your prayers. Number two, invest in a good set of commentaries. Invest in a good set of commentaries. All right? Uh, let me just give you a, a disclaimer here, okay? There's plenty of bad ones out there, okay? You understand there's bad amongst the good? I don't suggest you just go off to the bookstore and assume that everything there is good. That's not showing discernment, okay? That is unwise. So <clears throat> if you don't know about Bible commentaries, please come and talk to me. I'll be happy to help you. But you need to invest in a good set of commentaries. You don't need a whole set. You can buy them individually, but usually it's cheaper to buy sets. And so you can use those in your own home to, to help you become an expositional listener. Number three, take notes during the sermon. Take notes during the sermon. I praise God. Some of you do that. All right? that's, that's a great thing to do. All right? uh, it, it's it's proof, proof positive that those who are hearing, seeing, writing are going to remember more than those who are just hearing. It's been proven. So that, that, that's, that's a good reason to do it. Number four, talk with friends about the sermon after the church service. Talk with, talk with each other about the sermon after the church service, right? Hebrews 10 says we're to gather together for the purposes of exhorting one another to love and good works. So exhort one another. Use the sermon. Talk about the Bible. Right? Uh, you say, well, I don't know how to start a spiritual conversation with somebody. You know, I'll, I'll, some people have a hard time talking with with people, and the conversations are so shallow and so meaningless sometimes. All right? Can, can, can we strive to go beyond that? Okay? All right? Let's encourage one another to love and good works. You, you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, just ask the person, hey, how did the Scripture challenge you today? How did God's Word challenge you? Did, did God use His Word in your life today? All right? That's just a simple question that can get a very meaningful conversation going. All right, number five, listen to and act on the sermon throughout the week. Don't just say, hey, you know, I, I listened to it, I got it down. No. Uh, there's one, one of the reasons we put the sermons on the Internet is for you. Okay? All right, so listen to those sermons. Don't just listen to it on Sunday morning. Listen to sermons throughout the week as well. And then act on those. Don't let the Sunday sermon just become a one-time event in your life, and then you, you become a forgetful hearer. Uh, one of the things that's, that's helpful for me is choose one application or two applications from the sermon and say, okay, by God's grace, I'm going to apply God's word in, in, in that area or, or those two areas. You know, sometimes I can overwhelm you with application like I'm doing now, right? Heaps of application. And you, and you feel like you're trying to drink from a waterfall. And you're just not getting it all because your mouth's not big enough, right? So you say, okay, I can't handle all that. Say, okay, well, try one. Just try one, right? And grow in that area. Number six, 
develop the habit of addressing any questions about the text itself. Right? Inevitably, the preacher is not going to be able to answer everyone's question. That's just not going to happen. All right? So you need to be discerning. Try to answer the questions. All right? Don't be a passive listener to Scripture. Seek answers by searching the Scriptures themselves. And if you can't do it on your own, then you're certainly welcome to come and talk to me. I'd be happy to talk to you about Scripture itself. Or uh, you can talk to your own accountability partner. Hopefully you have one. And number seven, cultivate humility. Cultivate humility. One of the, the, the things that's going to destroy you from being an expositional listener is pride. That unteachable spirit is what is dividing churches and, and keeping Christians from growing. That, that unteachable spirit, the arrogance and the pride. Please do not become one of those professional sermon listeners who's always hearing what Scripture says is never actually coming to the truth. <laughs> Please don't be one of those. Uh, the Bible does say that sometimes knowledge can puff us up, uh, can actually uh, cause strife and dissension in the body. So what do you do then? You, you kill any tendency that, that, that is, is going to lead you toward pride. Kill it! Mortify your flesh in that area. Do what you need to do to keep that from growing in you. You One of the worst is uh, that critical nitpicking spirit. You ever ever met one of those kind of people? Very critical nitpicking. You know, the, the kind of people who never seems to have anything good to say, but they've got heaps of bad things to say. You know, the pastor didn't pronounce that word right. Or he had a misspelled word in his PowerPoint. You know, you know that, that sort of stuff. Okay? That's a critical nitpicking spirit, which is destroying churches. Dest- destroys them. Not helpful. It's, pro- it's based on pride. So what do we do? Seek to meet God each time we come to the Bible. Whether that's in your own private devotions, your own quiet time, or your... You're hearing a sermon preached on your MP3 player or on your computer, or you're, you're actually in a congregation listening to a sermon or teaching. Seek to meet God each time you come to the Bible. Expect to hear God speak. Expect to have something to apply. And then purpose in your heart that I'm going to be a doer of the Word, as James 1 says, and not just a hearer of the Word. May God help us to cultivate humility and to meet him every time we come to the Bible. Let's pray. Let's pray.